The planet is restless, Captain. They want their podcast. And they shall have it. I'll beam down to the surface. You have the bridge. Captain, that is illogical. These are Trek fans. They will challenge and dissect your knowledge with great emotion. It is a mission fraught with danger, peril, and grave risk. Suggestions. Send in the red shirts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the red shirts. We got another hot one for you today. We're going to talk about Star Trek two-parters. There are plenty of Star Trek two-parters that we've enjoyed throughout the years. But today we're going to get into our top choices and our least favorite choices. But before we get into that, a couple things I want to um, I want to talk about. Well, first off, this is just a question. I want some opinions. I want your opinion, you, uh, you Craig J. Johnston, and... Big Sexy, my crew members. But I want the listeners out there to weigh in as well. Now, as you all know, I have started watching DS9. Yay! Well, okay, now Big Sexy, I will say it's gotten, it went from deplorable to tolerable. Deplorable? Yes. <laughs> wow. That, wow. That first season was a trudge. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I didn't like. I, I wasn't really feeling any of the characters. You know what? Ironically, the the most fleshed out character, the most the character that had the most dimension was Quark, and I hate the Ferengi characters. I I hate them, but I got to give it to Armin Shimmerman. He is killing it. He is the most believable character, and he's got two huge ears and a unibrow. So <laughs> that's um. I really, I, I'm. Did he win an Emmy for any or a Golden Globe or anything for that portrayal? I don't believe so, actually. Uh, yeah, he's he's killing it. All the other characters, I mean, Kira. I didn't think uh, Nana Visitor was well. She didn't really thrill me as an actress, but she's starting to come into her own. But uh, she was she was second choice. They wanted the woman who played Roe to be that character, but she oh, didn't want to do it. Oh yeah, that would have been nice. They wanted to show Forbes. But she would, didn't want to do it. That would have been nice, yeah, because she killed it as Ensign Rowe. Um, yes. But I got to tell you, and I, I, I don't mean any offense because, you know, they might be listening, but uh, Avery Brooks is, man, we go. it's just not clicking. He just, he seems so really stiff in the role. And I think it gets better around season four because, I, like I say, I remember watching the show after the Defiant became a part of the show and the Dominion War took off. And I don't remember being as finding his portrayal as problematic, but I know he's a great actor. It's just he's a little over overdrawn or over dramatic in, in most of his line readings. So now, did they change directors or something uh, at some point? Because surely, if he's a good actor, maybe they're just getting him to act badly. Well, I, right? I, I I can't. I don't have an answer for you. I mean. I don't think they had any one particular director. I think they had a few directors. Um, uh, David Carson's the name that comes to mind. He directed Insurrection, um, and it, but they, it, I, I, I want to say Iris Stephen Bear. Maybe I'm 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 kind of throwing names out there. I don't know if he was a director or not, but uh, they they didn't have one go-to director. They had a, I think they had a stable. I've noticed different names. Mm. Um, but anyway, so I'm watching DS Nine. And Big Sexy, you might remember this episode. There was an episode where uh, this alien 
family, for want of a better term. It was a woman and her two husbands, I think. They came onto the space station, and the universal translators weren't able to distinguish their language, so they couldn't understand each other. Uh, Kira was trying to interpret for her, or trying to talk to her, and it wasn't happening because the translators weren't working. Eventually, the translators start working, and Kira speaks to this woman about the fact that she seems to have two husbands, and we, we learn that... Um, this alien race, it's a, do a female dominant uh, society. And that really has nothing to do with the story. So I don't know why they played that up. But um, Kira says, are they both your husbands? She says that to the woman. And the universal translator is working. But the woman responds, she says, husbands? I don't know what that word means. Go back to bed. Go on. Go on. I'll join you again after I'm through. Are those your husbands? Husbands? I I'm not familiar with that word. They're bonded to me. Now, I'm trying to make sense of that. That sounds like a plot hole to me because if you have the universal translator, if Kira said the word husband and the alien race, let's say that the, the word husband does not exist in their language, wouldn't the universal translator then transmit static or wouldn't it fail at that word? Because if they don't have the word husband in their language, why, how does she know that Kira said husband? Am I making sense? You are. Or, or the universal translator just took the word husbands and used that instead because there is no equivalent. And what's the you know, closest, uh, you know, translation for it, and maybe that word does not resonate in that in that other language. Uh, uh, well, one of our listeners, Ryan Roach, shout out to Ryan. He, I posted this this conundrum on the um, Star Trek the Richards page, and he said that uh, it would happen if that race doesn't have a word for husband in their language. And I'm still like, ah, I don't know if I buy that. It seems like it would just. It would like the universal translator or the computer would say, there is no translation for husband in her in that language. Well, what happens if you meet someone from a different, you know, speaks a different language now and you try to say something and there's not a word for a certain thing in their language? What do you do? Well, if you have a translator like any any translating app that I've used, it'll say something like cannot translate or there is no translation or it simply won't do it. You know what I mean? Hmm. So I feel like I've stumped. I feel like I've stumped you guys. You stumped me because you know, I see, I see implementations of universal translators everywhere. You know, not just within Star Trek, but within uh, other sci-fi and comic things as well. And it's like when a word isn't well, like like in, in Klingon. Uh, before this one guy, well, I was episode DS Nine. Before this one negotiator came about, Worf said there wasn't a Klingon word for peace until they made one up. So it could be that culture doesn't have a word for husband at the point. At that uh, point, right? No, no, I, I I got that. I'm just saying, I don't think the one the alien should have heard the word husband come out of Kira's mouth if there's no word for it. She should. I I, I would have expected her to say, "I'm sorry, the word you used, I didn't catch that. It didn't come through." <laughs> 
But <clears throat> I'm being a Trek geek to the nth degree. You guys get that, right? Nth degree? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. yes. <laughs> but hey, I, you know what? I will I will take it that the translator just uh, put out the word husband and the alien could not could not understand the word. So, all right. Anyone, if you have any opinions on that, please uh, let me know. Mr. Roach, I will take you at your word. So, until I hear anything better, I'll go with that. Because it sounds like no one else really cares. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> you stumped us. <clears throat> okay. Um, now, moving on to something more serious. I don't know if you guys uh, read this or saw this. Uh, it is tragic news, but apparently I'm just going to read from this article from TrekCore.com. Uh, it says here, in a statement released to multiple media outlets today, CBS made the following comments regarding this delay in the Star Trek Discovery program. Production on Star Trek Discovery begins next week. We love the cast, the scripts and are excited about the world the producers have created. This is an ambitious project. We will be flexible on a launch date if it's best for the show. We've said from the beginning it's more important to do this right than to do it fast. There is also added flexibility presenting on CBS All Access, which isn't beholden to seasonal premieres or launch windows. So what that means is we're not going to get Discovery in May, and we don't know when it's going to come out. So mm. what do you guys think that means? It could mean that they were going in a direction they didn't like and they've changed directions now. And so they have to retool something. Something has gone wrong for sure. I don't think it's a casting issue. You know, it could be a showrunner problem or a, a, a content problem or, or actually a provider problem. I mean, this is bigger than a, the actual show itself. This well, is something heavy. Well, let me read this. <clears throat> this is quoting from the article. He says, while this additional push out of the Discovery debut will likely be a disappointment to fans, there's an understatement, EW's <laughs> uh, Entertainment Weekly's James Hibbard offered the following commentary, which may factor into the reason for a new shift. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read this whole thing. He says, the other reason is there's still a lot of careful deliberation continuing to go into making Discovery special. From the choice of directors to set design to the special effects. While May would have been a strong premiere month for the project since Discovery will launch on the CBS broadcast network before moving to the streaming service, May is a rating surge month. Given that Discovery will normally live on all excess, there's no pressure to fill a specific time slot. I don't know. I'm like, dudes, uh, let's step, you know, stop slacking. Let's step up the game here. It's not like Star Trek is a property that people are clamoring for. So any kind of stuff like this only serves to hurt your prospects. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Delay is never good, especially when you build up a little bit of momentum by, by announcing uh, the lady from Walking Dead is gonna, who's going to be your, um, your commander. And it'll be revolved around her instead of the captain. That was a good you know, media bomb, and now they've just dropped all that momentum. Yeah, I do think it's bad. It doesn't it doesn't look good. It it's almost reminds me a little bit about Rogue One. We right. were talking about all the reshoots and it, it, they never really explained it, but it's like they were going in the wrong direction and people could tell that this wouldn't be successful. 
shot the way it was. And this reminds me of that, where somebody's coming in and say, look, this is not going to work, guys, or, you know, something like that. So we can only hope that it's only delayed a couple more months. But you bring up Rogue One, and that actually gives me hope because I absolutely loved that movie. I saw it three times in the theaters. So um, I was not going into that film with a lot of hope because of all the reshoots and all the stuff we were hearing. And if they could put that property out, which it wasn't perfect, but it sure made up for all all of its flaws in the action and the um, the story, um, then okay, okay, guys, I, I give you a reprieve, but you can't come with any bullshit now. This is your last shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. In that in that same article, they talk about um, casting a new actor, English actor James Frain has been cast as Sarek, son of mm. son of Skan, son of Solkar, and father of Spock. So they're still casting. So I You know, I, why do we need Sarek in this show? Well then again it is set earlier. So okay, I guess it makes sense. Well yeah, because Vulcans lived to what, three hundred years or something? Yeah. Yeah. So and and Sarek, I think he was a founding member of the Federation, was he not? Oh, that's I, an original serious question. You lost I, I, I could be wrong on that, but I know he played an important... He he, he is an iconic character, el, elder statesman in the Trek franchise, let's put it that way. So I've got no issue with him being a uh, part of the show. Now, if they start doing stuff like time traveling where they see where they meet Spock... No, no. Or, or Kid Spock. <laughs> Little Spock. <laughs> I, I would have problems with that. I, I don't want another Gotham on my hands here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get into the meat of the show. We're here to talk about uh, two-parters. I mean, if there's... The, Shrek, you know what? I mean, they they know how to do a two-parter. For the most part, they know how to do a two-parter. Um, there, are, there are countless numbers of them that I've found entertaining. Uh, but by the same token, there are a few that I thought were absolute duds. But I just wanted to kind of go through what we consider to be our favorite two-parters and our uh, least favorite two-parters. So um, one thing I will mention, and I hope you guys agree with me, is that um, other than Deep Space Nine, I don't think there's ever, has there ever been a two-parter, as I'm trying to recall, that occurred in the middle of a season? Or did they only occur? Oh, yeah. There were. Okay. Okay. See, I, my memory fails me. Help me out. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Uh, Gambit was a two-parter in the middle of the season. Gambit. Oh, that was that was the one with Picard going undercover. Yes. That was a Unific- good. Uh, yeah. That was a great episode. Unification uh, and my personal favorite, Chain of Command. That's right. How could I forget that? Okay, you can take my Star Trek my geek card right now because <laughs> you have been demoted from Capital <laughs> to Ensign. It's in Q. <laughs> to the to the break. I'm uh, I, I have to I have to clean the uh, the latrines with a toothbrush. You are treating <laughs> cleaning waste extraction. That's right. That's and, you. And again, it brings brings new meaning to the term captain's log. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I know I um I was able to win. A, it, it was this was pretty simple for me. I mean, there were some great two parters like Big Sexy, the ones you just listed. All of those are some of my favorite TNG episodes. Uh, Voyager, they also had some great two-parters. As I'm watching DS9, 
I could say I've seen a couple of two-parters that you know what I like. Okay, let me. This is what it is with DS9. What season are you in? What season? Are you I'm in? on season two. Okay. And there was a two-parter. Actually, it was a three-parter, if I'm not mistaken. It starred Steven Weber from uh, the the comedy Wings, and uh, he was in uh, the Stephen King. Um, what's the one with the hotel? Shi- the Shining TV remake. P.U. Okay. Uh, they need to remake that, man. <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway. Um, but what I liked about that two or three parter is that DS Nine, and I'm starting to see why people might say that this is the best of the series. I don't agree with that, but I can understand it. Is that there being a lot? It's a lot more edgy. There's a lot more sexuality in the show. Oh yeah. And um, there's a lot more uh, mythology building in the show. This whole Cardassian uh, uh, Bajoran conflict with the Federation Starfleet in the middle. It's getting a, it's got a lot of dimension to it. In the episode that I saw was where uh, the Bajorans there was a this uh, radical sect who was willing to um, do whatever it took to fight Cardassians. They were actually getting Cardassian weapons, not knowing they were getting from from Cardassia. I think Gold Ducat was part of the liaison there and it was it, it was really um a really a mythology building three-parter so i will give ds9 its props it, it's kind of like they really are making this a uh, a three-dimensional universe unlike any of the other uh series so i will give you that big sexy but um in regards to our favorites our favorite two-parters i'm gonna let um i'm gonna let craig take the helm craig let me get your um, your top two-parter. So because I'm still catching up on TNG and re-watching Voyager, and I'm going to get to DS9 eventually, I all I can really talk to is the original series. And the original series only had one two-parter. That's it. Throughout the three seasons, only had one two-parter. And back when this originally aired, people had not seen... The, the original pilot episode of Star Trek, which was called The Cage, they, that never aired on television. Only the execs at NBC saw that. And they the, and, and after seeing it, they said, no, you need to reshoot this, and this, it's too complicated for people. And who's going to believe that there's a female first in command and that kind of stuff? And so they, they basically um, threw out everybody and kept Spock as the only original cast member. So there was this whole episode of The Cage where they come to this planet... And um, it's run. It's uh, these beings called the Talosians. Yeah. And they they basically capture uh, Captain Pike. He was the original captain of the Enterprise, and they use mind tricks basically to uh, to make them think that they're in a cage and they can't get out of it. But eventually they escape, and uh, and they they figure out what the Talosians are trying to do. They learn about them and they they figure out that they're a, a dying race and they. Um, they look feminine. They look very feminine. And um, so they sort of this dying race and they leave the planet and so on. Uh, but uh, the female um, cast member stays behind because she's an old woman and she wants to look young because they, they make it look – they play the mind tricks where she thinks she's young and beautiful but she's actually old. So anyway, so then of course nobody ever saw that. But it was actually an, a, quite an amazing episode, The Cage, if you ever watched it. A brilliant episode. 
And so then when this, uh, the, the, the Menagerie, which is the two-parter, when that came out, the, this is the first time anybody had ever seen any of that footage. And so what they did with the Menagerie was they reused a lot of the footage from the cage and they constructed a framework around it where Spock um, took the Enterprise to go back to Talos with Captain Pike, who is now completely disabled and sitting in a chair and he can only use you know one beep and two beeps for yes and no. And um, the whole, they built this whole story around it, which is very cool. And um, so if you had been seeing it for the first time, it would have been pretty amazing because there's lots of, there's lots of um, production value there. They spent a lot of money on the show originally. So this is an amazing two-parter. And um, a, lot of, a lot of fans liked it. I think it won some awards or won the Hugo Awards. So it's really, really good. So I don't have a bad one because there was only one two-parter. <laughs> so that's it, the menagerie. So now, well, now what was it about... Do you remember what the cliffhanger was in the menagerie? What what was it that linked the two that made me want to come um, back and watch the second episode? They were in the middle of a tribunal actually to to convict Spock of mutiny. So I believe it was they stopped it in the middle of that. I think if I remember correctly. So you sort of wanted to come back and see how it finished, how it ended. Just to um, confirm, and I have seen both of these episodes, but I just uh, it's been a while since I've. Um, watched original trek but so the pilot was called the the cage and the yeah. menagerie used footage from the cage because they yes. didn't want to waste all that footage but i know that i saw the cage uncut at some point now i want to i'm trying to remember where i would have seen that are they airing that in syndication now do you know yeah you can watch it you can yeah i think in the in the 80s they started showing that that episode in its entirety but uh, but back in the 60s nobody saw it so menagerie was the first time they actually saw that footage I recently saw it on uh, BBC America, actually, because they were in Starcraft. Well, I actually heard it. What I seem to remember was, um, I mean, Pike had that, you know, that all-American, you know, that dashing good looks and all that. But mm. I seem to recall he was just, uh, he couldn't hold, hold a candle to, to Shatner's Kirk. He was a lot more stiff from what I remember. Remembering, he seemed like he was, um, he never really had control of any of the situations. Am I remembering that correctly? Well, that's hard to really say because he only had the one shot. Well, no, no, I'm talking about in the narrative of the show, of that particular show. He... I think that the original, the original episode of The Cage, it was much more militaristic. So, you know, he was the captain when everybody was referred to as their ranking name. And, you know, it wasn't more playful like it was when they re-released it. Uh, it released it with Kirk, where you know people were sort of you caught some people by their first names or whatever. Uh, he was it was very much you know hey you know first officer do this number one whatever. So he was he may have seemed stiff in that way. And this was when um, do I want to say Major Barrett was his number one? That's right. She was uh, Commander Hudek. What are we running here? A cadet ship number one? Are we ready or not? All decks are ready, sir. She was number one, and that and the NBC executives were just were just uh, appalled by that. They said nobody's going to believe a, a female can be number one of a starship, which is just so insane for people to that's, say that. Shit. That's amazing. But that was the '60s, man. That's what <laughs> I know. But yeah. you have you have a, a, an African uh, communications officer. You have a Asian helmsman. You have a Russian helmsman. So why is the female a problem? I don't get it. Oh right. no! Those, oh, the, well, those characters weren't weren't um, a part of the pilot, right? No, no, exactly. Only no. Spock. 
So having an alien on the ship was okay, but a female first officer, terrible. <laughs> right. I remember the Talosians, they had like um, these bald heads with a lot of veins. Yeah, Kinda, that's right. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, I got to watch that again. I remember enjoying it, but I thought it was kind of slow. Yeah, it did play a bit slow. You're right. And even the um, when they used the menagerie, when they reused the footage, it's, they played it in that same kind of slow way. They you did know, drag a little bit. But, you know, it was very enjoyable still. Oh, yeah. no, no. I, 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 don't, I don't deny that. Um, I, it's kind of like the motion picture, Star Trek the motion picture. Very slow, but I, st- <sighs> I still like it because it's Star Trek. Um, yeah. But now, you know what? They really, they really did your boy wrong in that menagerie. The way they, the actor they hired to play Pike, I mean, come right. on. <laughs> I assume that was not the same actor, but he looks like a mess. <laughs> looks like his um looks like his face is melting or something. Right. Yeah, they did Jeff wrong, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey Hunter was uh you're right. He was the Captain Pike and then the actor that reprised the role for him was Sean well, they didn't reprise the role that played Pike was Sean Kenny. Uh had Jeffrey Hunter died already? Because if I remember correctly, he, he did actually die pretty young. Oh really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. So maybe that was it, but well maybe he just I maybe just didn't want to come back to this weird sci-fi show <laughs> that he had the failed pilot to. Right. Well, all right. So, uh, Big Sexy, what do you got? Your favorite two-parter. Oh, God. It's hard to say because I'm looking at my list now, and I said Chain of Command earlier, but I love Time's Arrow as well. So I would say Time's Arrow by a smidgen over Chain of Command. That's all you got for me? Come on, pump it up. Oh, 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 oh pump it up? Oh, well, shit, okay. Time's Arrow was the cliffhanger for season five, going into season six. Um, in, season, in the season five finale, the Enterprise is called Back to Earth because they're doing some excavating in San Francisco, and they find Data's head. And Data's head has been time-stamped, for lack of a better word, at like 200 years old. And they're like, that can't be real. It's real. Okay, fine. And they did some, some detective work, and they found another planet where these aliens were making incursions back into time. And the cool thing about it was Guinan, played by Whoopi Goldberg, told Picard, she said, you know, Picard, it's usually inappropriate for a captain to lead an away crew. And he's all, yeah. She's all, do you remember when we, when we met? Oh, yes. He's all, I don't think you do. If you don't go on this away mission, we'll never meet. What is it you wanted to see me about? I hear you're sending an away team down to the surface. Uh Uh-huh. Are you going? Well, now, this is rather unusual for you to be curious about an away mission. Maybe it's an unusual away mission. If you have something to say, I'm listening. Starfleet captains don't usually accompany away teams. It's general policy. This time, you have to. You just do. Do you remember the first time we met? Of course. Don't be so sure. I just mean, if you don't go on this mission, we'll never meet. I thought, okay, that's cool. And so they had the little little, uh, transporter buffers or uh, pattern enhancer set up. Picard shows up, says, Worf, stay on the ship. I got this. 
works at my place at your site is off. Don't worry about it. You take care of the ship. And they go back <laughs> into the past, end up in San Francisco, where Data had already been because of an accident. So they run into Data. Data runs into Guinan, who did not recognize him right. because they hadn't met yet. And the only thing I didn't like is they made Mark Twain a bit of a nosy Mrs. Kravitz neighbor type. But they gave him a little bit of redemption. And they all found each other and got back to the past or got back to the future. Data's head blows up, goes back to the past. They leave it there. So time can go ahead and complete itself. Really, really, really well done. And that was your that was your, your favorite. That's the one. That's the one. So okay, now you so you're picking that over Best of Both Worlds, Chain of Command. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. Um I, I love Best of Both Worlds, don't get me wrong, but Time Zero is the one. I watched Best of Both Worlds. Uh, I'm sorry. I watched, well, I did watch Best of Both Worlds just to refamiliarize myself with it, even though I know it pretty much inside and out. And then I watched uh, Time's Arrow. And there's a scene, maybe you can help me, that I thought was in Time's Arrow, but it's clearly not. There's a scene in one TNG episode where Data, it, it, he goes, they're in the past, kind of like in the same timeline, maybe in the in the 30s. Okay, and I just remember there's a scene where he's he's looking at something on the ground, but he's there's a car trying to get away from him, but he's holding it by the bumper. Oh, that's um, oh, that's the one where this little computer note. He's in, he's in the holodeck when that happens. Oh. There is this little computer issue that seems to have become sentient, and they were on the, the train. For, they're on a train first for New Verdeform City. And then Data right. gets off the train. Yes. Yeah. And that car starts trying to run him down. He's like, let me just grab this car. <laughs> and he's like, Captain, I've got the car. Here's the little thing where it goes. Yeah, I remember that one. I remember that one. Uh, that was on a two-parter, though. I, I know. I, I think that was the one where the, the ship... Uh, the ship developed some type of sentience, yes. Yeah, I think it's called... I think it was Emergence, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, not one of my favorite episodes. But I do remember it was cool, the visual of him just sitting there chilling, holding that car. And I was looking forward to that when I watched Time Zero, and I was like, ah, no, I wasn't in there. Which one was that? But I did see that, and what I got confused about was, um, so what was, so Guinan, I mean, how does she get to that century? You know, Guinan's people are very, very, very long, or have very long lives. And she just happened to be there in San Francisco doing her thing, and Data shows up. And Data pulls her off to the left. He's like, Guinan, blah, blah, blah. But and she's like, uh, I don't know you, man. Yeah, but why was she there and how did she get there? That's my question. The why? Again, you know, her people are, are were travelers and listeners. That's what they do. They listen. And they just happen to, you know, she just happened to be there sniffing around. At one point, when she meets Data, she, t she tells him, she says, look, tell my dad or my father that I'm not ready to come back yet. I'm not done here. And then they drop that little, uh, a little line. Hmm. So she was just listening. That's what they do. And so the denouement of that, I forget. Um, I, I remember they stopped the aliens somehow. I just don't remember what they did. Well, the aliens had that pimp came. Right. I remember Dana snatching it from him. And it opened up the little uh, portal between the present and the past. In fact, when they all got back, except Picard, who was in the cave with Guinan, Worf said, look, we need to destroy this planet. 
And uh, uh, Riker's like, well, the captain wouldn't want that. He's all, the captain would want the mission done. Yeah, I, do, I, I remember that. And they, they target it, and all of a sudden, there's uh, Picard. He's all, Brian, get him out of there. And they blow up the planet. And they got him back. Okay, yeah, that's that, that seems familiar now. I got to stop watching these episodes when I'm really sleepy at midnight. Because <laughs> I find myself waking up saying, okay, what happened? I got to rewind that. All right. Um, so my favorite, I mean, are you really going to have to ask me which is my favorite? Best of both worlds? <laughs> it, best of both worlds. It, it's, the ep- it's the episode or two episodes that got me watching Star Trek The Next Generation because, as I've said many times, I had written it off after I saw the first two episodes because um, I was like, I was into the Kirk I was into the original series Kirk movies that were really well done, I thought. You know, uh, I thought they were great. So when I saw the cerebral take and the more, I don't want to say PC take, but for want of a better term, when I saw uh, the the first episodes of Next Generation, I was like, eh, I'm not going to waste my time. And again, a, a friend of mine, you told me to watch Best of Both Worlds. I watched that. I sat there transfixed, just like um, just like you said uh, offline, Craig. To me, if you take that two-parter, get rid of insurrection, get rid of all of, uh, get rid of Nemesis, even though I do like Nemesis to a certain degree. Make that a move. Make that make best of both worlds, uh, cinematic quality. And you have you have I say one of the best movies that you'll ever see, definitely would have been one of the best the best TNG movie, ever. Um, so many yeah, I think so definitely. Yeah, yeah, so many things about this this these episodes. First of all, if you ask a Trek fan, what was one of the greatest moments in Star Trek TNG? I think they're going to tell you um, that moment. When uh, the music, which we use for our show open, you hear that music building, the camera swivels around in an arc, and you get uh, Will Riker uh, close up saying, Mr. Worf, fire. Mr. Worf, fire. And right away it goes to, to be continued. I and saw. That music was great. I, I watched it again for, I don't know, the 10th time. I still got chills. So basically, I mean, like I have to, but we all know the story. Um, this is when the Borg are like, we about to handle some business. This is the <laughs> <laughs> this is the Borg coming into their own. So we start off with um, a colony, J2, J25, or I forget the name of the colony, but they go to this uh, colony that is sending out a distress signal, and the whole colony has been scooped up, which is a little bit of a flaw. Um, if you have read the um, Mike, I think the Akudas put out a series of books where they point out all of the bloopers in Star Trek. I have them all somewhere, and they they point out that the Borg don't really operate that way. They don't kidnap people. They don't they don't just take things uh, out of whole cloth. They they will take your technology or assimilate you. Exactly. But the whole colony has been removed. 
and we come to find out that the Borg are headed towards Sector 001, which is the Terran sector. This colony was in the path, so that was the that was the footprint that that told the Enterprise crew that they were heading towards Earth. And one of the reasons that they were able to determine that is because Admiral Hansen had requested that Picard uh, take on a uh, a field commission. Uh, her name was Commander, Commander Shelby. Shelby. Commander Shelby. And according to Picard, you know, um, he calls out Hansen and says. You seem to be quite taken with her. And he says, ah, just the fleeting fantasies of an old man. <laughs> Keep your eye on her, Jean-Luc. She's one very impressive young lady. You seem rather taken with her, JP. Just an old man's fantasies. <laughs> because she is pretty dope. I'm not going to lie. I but didn't she, like her. Well, you didn't like her because she was ambitious, brash. no. no. Why not? I don't like her because she, you know, we, wait, you go ahead and finish. We'll get into this. Go ahead and finish. Well, well, no, I I think she brought on, she brought on one of the best conflicts I've ever seen. Well, I'm, I can't say that, but it, it's, it's up there in the top 10 conflicts, subplot conflict that I've ever seen on TNG. And it was, it was so great because it answered, it, it served to answer a question that, that one would have. That being, why is Riker still on the Enterprise? And that was that was one of her purposes as a character on that show. The second was to be someone who was knowledgeable about fighting the Borg. But I think her first and foremost purpose as a character, as a plot device, was to show the audience why William Riker deserves to be number one on the Enterprise and why he wants to stay on the Enterprise. Uh, just pointing out some things here. You see it right off at the top when Shelby calls out Riker in that poker game. I mean, you know the scene I'm talking about, right, Big Sexy? I know. Oh, yeah, I know exactly Okay. Saying. I got to see your whole card. Yeah, and, and Punk Wesley, he's like, oh, I fold. <laughs> <laughs> I still like Wesley. That's why nobody likes Wesley. No, no. I, I, <laughs> I still like Wesley, but um, I... I, see, to me, that's that's brilliant writing. They take about five minutes of time at a poker game, but it so brilliantly establishes these two characters. And then when she goes, uh, she goes down on the away mission to the to the colony before telling uh, Captain Ry uh, Commander Riker. And I love Jordy's um, what he says. Uh, oh, she aired. Oh uh, yeah, Data <laughs> says uh, uh, there's no vermicular life forms or ornithological life forms on this planet. Because she says something about the early bird gets the worm. That was Shelby's rationale for defying uh, Commander Riker's orders. And yeah, like like you said, Jordy says, yeah, she erred. But it was I, I loved that struggle. I, I think it kept Riker on his toes, and she she took away his testicles in that ele in the turbo lift. Okay. <laughs> See, we need to discuss that. Let's She's talk out about of line it. there, man. Talk about She's it. She's out of line. She said, "May I have permission to speak freely, sir?" And he and said, "Yeah." And she spoke freely like a muff. <laughs> Decade battle bridge. Halt, Commander. You and I need to have a conversation. You never ordered me not to discuss this with the captain. You disagree with me? Fine. You need to take it to the captain. Fine. Through me. You do an end run around me again. 
I'll snap you back so hard you'll think you're a first-year cadet again. May I speak frankly, sir? By all means. You're in my way. Really? How terrible for you. All you know how to do is play it safe. I suppose that's why someone like you sits in the shadow of a great man for as long as you have, passing up one command after another. Proceed to deck eight. When it comes to this ship and this crew, you're damned right I play it safe. If you can't make the big decisions, Commander, I suggest you make room for someone who can. <laughs> you're in my way. Yeah, really? I'm sorry for you, you heifer. Well, I just want to say I did love the episode. Right. It played like a it played like a movie. As you said, it could have been a movie. Or it could be a movie. Um, and I loved the subplot conflict with between Shelby and Riker. It was very good. And, they, think, and as you said, brilliant writing. Do you think Shelby was out of line? Did you, did you not like her character? Um, well, we were not supposed to like her character, I don't think. So she was a good actress and she, she got us to despise her, I think. But, but um, she was a little bit annoying to me. But uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure yeah. she was supposed to be, but she was a bit annoying. Because she seemed to be always out of line and just barging in. There's like, well, I'm taking your position, Riker. <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, she was kind of like what we would call that millennial attitude today, where she felt entitled. <laughs> exactly. Because right. at the end of the of the first part, you know, before before Riker makes his move, she's all, well, get get Admiral Admiral, what's his name back on the, on the thing? And he's like, belay that. We got to fire now. See. Right. Know your role and shut up. <laughs> I'm like her. But he did make her first officer, so uh, you know. So which I did not agree with at all. Now I understand the rationale of leaving people in their normal spots, uh-huh. but dude, we got a whole new problem. We don't know what is Heffa. She's not one of us. No, I don't agree with that. Well, but she did know. Well, maybe she, you're saying she should have been science officer, not number I'm one. I'm saying she should not have been second in command because she doesn't know the people on the ship. Right. And this is before um, Troy got command status, so I can't say she should have taken it, but they could have done something. But it should have been Data. Well, but you do realize that she uh, had the most, other than Picard at the time, but he was too busy being a Borg, she had the most knowledge about the Borg and Starfleet. So if she That's wants... Right. She could have been a you know, tactical assistant. I know, but... Leader. But, but not second in command. But you make her second in command because if she wants an order followed and she doesn't have time to explain, look, I know the Borg are going to do this because I've studied them. So you, I really need you to do this now. So please just do what I tell you and, and tell you to do. And trust me, making her second in command means do it. That's an order. No more questions. You know what I'm saying? Whereas with a science officer or another uh, uh, position, she might have to spend too much time explaining herself with these life and death circumstances. Doesn't that make you know, sense? That makes perfect sense because I remember the two-parter. I, 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 I know, I know where you're going. I know which one you're talking about. I love that the one with Data. Yes, yes. And he tells he tells that pissant dude. Oh, I hate oh, that. Oh, <laughs> I hate that guy. Oh I, my god, I hated that guy. Ooh, he was bad. I wanted Data to beat the shit out of that mother. God. I <laughs> ever got to command status either. He's such a whiny little punk. Oh, I, I can't be your first officer, Data. Eh. What? 
registration. You know, uh, his name was Hobson. And yep. you know, you know why I remember that? Because I remember Data going off emotion. Data said, "Emotion ship, Mister Hobson, I need <laughs> you to carry out my command." I was like, "Go get him, get him." <laughs> okay, but I digress. Uh, you got, you, you got, you got my dander up right there, man. Oh, what was the name of that? Was uh, um, that was the one with unification, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, another thing I, I found funny. <laughs> I just got to point this out. Uh, <laughs> when Jordy is clearing out engineering and he does that he does that corny little roll underneath the oh, door. I hate that. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Come on, people, move it, people, move it. It's like the do- it's like the door is still twenty feet up in the air. <laughs> he, it reminds me Jordy. <laughs> remember that cop uh that that uh that rolled in on that those those black kids uh pool party? <laughs> That's what that moral cop. Oh man, that was not a good look. But now the second, the second, um, the second episode when they come, you know, for the season premiere of season four, I think it was. It wasn't nearly as good. It was still great, but um, you got a lot more of Picard just standing there, uh, in you know, while Data's working on him. A lot more dialogue, a lot more talking, and I think the conclusion was a little too easy. The way they defeat the Borg just by putting them to sleep. Put them to sleep. Yeah, that was some bullshit. I think that because if that's the case, it seems like you would hot you would um, order a lot of your Starfleet officers to become Borg so you could do that. Um, well, they wouldn't have to become Borg. You know, now that they've penetrated their net, you know, you replicate that, go and take the fight to them, and and, and end it. It seems yeah. It seems like they should have made it a little bit more complex. Because now, after that, you don't really see any the Borg as being any threat. And so. um, the, uh, one one thing I wanted to say about that is the way that Data gets into the command structure of the Borg sort of reminds me of the first Independence Day movie where he, they they somehow hack into this alien race's computer system in about ten minutes. Right. You remember that? It's like they get a give it a virus or whatever. But how how do they suddenly learn? Nobody can learn a new system that quickly. So. Well, that would just seem unrealistic to me that Data is able to like penetrate the some unknown computer system just somehow. He just does it miraculously. Well, I I don't disagree with you, but for the fact that as we were talking about earlier, you have a universal translator that instantaneously can translate in first uh, uh, an alien's language in first contact. Right. So yeah. I, you know. You gotta kind of... I'd rather believe in the in the Babelfish from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, that does the same thing, but the way they explain the way it works is actually more it makes more sense. <laughs> you put a fish in your ear and it translates for you, you know right? So <laughs> okay. you, you guys sound a bit lost. You probably haven't read the book. I you know what? I have I tried to watch the movie because I love Martin Freeman ever since I saw him in the office, but I just I couldn't get through it. But that was actually the remake of the movie as well. It was a, the original movie. That was the remake. But anyway, we're digressing here. But the point is that uh, the way that I just thought that the way that they did that was a bit silly. And also, as you said, putting them to sleep. I mean, the Borg is connected to all the other Borgs, right? So surely somebody on an, another Borg ship must be alerted to the fact that somebody was sending a rogue command and, and shown up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you would think that... Um... Since we est- since they established later, and this is always the problem, when you don't go back to and keep continuity, when they established the Borg Queen, 
it seems like the Borg Queen would have been able to mount a defense as soon as she right. saw Data. And, you know, the Borg Queen never, now that I think about it, the Borg Queen never mentions the events of the second part of this ep- of this episode. Mm. <clears throat> when she meets Data, it seems like she would have been like, you're the reason I lost all those Borg on that first cube going to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the other thing about um, about that episode, and this it happens in a lot of TV shows, and it, it happens really in the original series as well, is that the Borg are just complete logic, right? They just you know computer driven, and once they captured Picard, why did they need to hang around and like make him speak back to the ship? They already had every, all his knowledge; they could have killed off the Enterprise right away, but they had a drawn out process, right? That was a bit, you know, that's yeah. But they do that a lot, right? It's a little construct. But the Borg would never have done that if you think about it, because they're the Borg. Why do they need to talk back to the Enterprise and have Picard speaking to Number One and all this kind of stuff? They didn't need to do any of that. Well, and, and by the same by the same token, they don't they don't need a Borg Queen either, do they? Exactly. No, <laughs> exactly. No. Right. I hated that. I hated that storyline. I mean, the Borg Queen could have been. Well, let, let's just be clear. The reason they kidnapped Picard is because they wanted a human emissary if you will or ambassador to speak for the borg which i agree totally unnecessary because yeah. the borg the borg queen seems capable in a, herself to be able to speak to the human race but also um, the borg doesn't want to communicate right i mean didn't we didn't they establish the borg just assimilate so wouldn't they just show up at earth and assimilate earth what, what do they need picard to stand up and say oh hi guys uh we you know we're going to come down and assimilate you and he has your rights. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was just maybe it was just the enemy totally um, demoralizing the Enterprise crew by taking their captain. I'm just I, you. You make perfect sense, but I'm okay with it because it gave me a great episode. <laughs> uh, it was a great episode, definitely. Just, just a couple other things I want to want to mention, and we'll move on. I thought this was one of Jonathan Frakes' best performances. I, he's for me, he's hot and cold as an actor on the series. I know the the episode Frame of Mind, if you remember that one, where he... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, you a little t- corny there. He, a little he, corny. He was doing his best to get his Emmy. Uh, yeah, he was definitely going for it. <laughs> but I think this episode is probably, for me, his standout performance. And there's one scene that I love. Remember how I talk about I love that whole uh, militaristic dressing down, you know, the, the showing of authority? One of my favorite right. scenes is when uh, I loved uh, this scene where uh, Shelby gets put in her place. When she says something like, uh, that they're in communication with Admiral Hansen. And she says something like, um, well, you know, we have to remember that <clears throat> Picard is helping the Borg now. And Admiral Hansen, he, he, he turns and he's like, hold the f*** up. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell this. Let me tell this chick something right here now. I saw a young Picard run the the marathon in three minutes flat. Let's get something clear, Commander. He is not assisting the Borg. Am I understood? And she was yes. like, "Yes, sir." You realize, Admiral, that with the assistance of Captain Picard, the Borg will be ready for your defenses. Lieutenant, a few years ago, I watched a freshman cadet pass four upperclassmen on the last hill of a 40-kilometer run in Delula II. The damnedest thing I ever saw. The only freshman to ever win the Academy Marathon. I made it my business to get to know that young fellow and got to know him very, very well. And I'll tell you something. 
I never met anyone with more drive, determination, or more courage than Jean-Luc Picard. And there is no way in hell that he would assist Leborg. I want that clear. Of course, Admiral. <laughs> yeah, she got served. <laughs> so yeah, at that point, I was like, that was her turning point, I believe. Um, And that was when Riker showed her, look, yo, I'm balling on the ship, okay? <laughs> I, I, I I am the one. <laughs> I am the man on this ship. I mean, that whole separating the saucer section, it was a lot of pomp and circumstance, but it it looked cool. So... Was that the first time they'd done it on the show? No. Nope. No, they did it on the, the premiere. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which makes they sense. Did in a sec- they did it in the second, or um, again in the first season, when, when they went to that one planet that ended up being like a big weapon and they're trying to sell people that weapon. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and Jordy took command. Oh, yes. This was when they were wearing the uh, skin tight latex suits oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, skin tight, skin tight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's my that's my favorite. They're, like, it's J- Chain of Command. Another excellent one. Um, I mean, Voyager, Year of Hell. Um, hell is the bomb. That was it, it. Had your man from uh, RoboCop. Um, what was there? Was another one? Uh, ah, um, the one where they go to Earth and um, Lou, what's that actor's name? Ah, not Lou Gossett. Ed Beckley. Ed Beckley Jr. is um is a like a Tony Stark madman. Oh yeah, and they had what's her name in it too? Sarah oh, Silverman. Sarah, yes. I can't believe I can't remember the name of that because I just saw it like a, a couple months ago. And she is not funny, but I liked her in that episode. Well, I think she's funny. <laughs> I think she's kind of hot too, but <laughs> her sister's better looking. Sister's oh, I didn't know she had. Okay, well, don't don't distract me. Don't distract me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there you have it. Uh, our favorites, and um, I want to shout out our listeners. We had another listener, Stephen Bates, who posted up on our. Facebook page. He said his best two-parters, his favorite. First one, best of both worlds. Stevens, my man. Okay, all right. <clears throat> his second is unification. I can't be mad at that. I can't. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. His last three are DS9, so I, I don't. I'm not familiar with these. So there's which ones? The, the search. Yeah, that was good. And it's interesting because DS9, apparently, their two-parters, they would give. Different titles to the two episodes. Sometimes, <clears throat> but he, his his next one is "In Purgatory Shadow" and "By Inferno's Light." I got to tell you, that sounds like it's going to be a pretty good episode. Once I get I to, I got to pull that one up. I don't, I don't recall those titles off the top of my head. And his last are "Favorite the Favor the Bold," "Sacrifice of Angels." That was good. Okay, that was good. All Notice right. nobody's talking about Enterprise. Fortune favors the bold. What, Big Sexy, did you hear what Craig just said? Yeah, because Enterprise sucks. <laughs> I, it's, yeah. just not, it, it's not like you to miss an opening like that. Uh, that show was terrible. So, all right, here's where we have to. We have to keep it 100, and we have to be honest with ourselves and admit that Trek, they there were some clunkers. And so we're now going to get into our worst two-parters. So... I'm going to let, uh, Craig, I'm going to let you go again. I'll let you go first again. 
I got nothing. <laughs> Someone didn't do their Starfleet research. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I can't watch so many episodes of Star Trek in one week. All right. Well, let me ask you this then. Give, just give me an episode that you did not like. I can't. Seriously. Okay. All right. My well, brain is not functioning today. Okay. Like okay. I said, I've been sick all week. So I managed, oh, that... I managed to watch the best of both worlds, but uh, that was it. But I'm, I'll get there. I need to rewatch everything again. Well, okay. So you had the uh, Talusian flu. We'll, we'll let you pass this That's time. Right. I did. <laughs> all right. So it's just between you and me, Big Sexy. Uh, well, I'm you go for me. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Hmm. Now, granted, it was our first. You know, it was a premiere, and we just introduced to these characters and all that. But the way they had the set design and and costuming was terrible, terrible. You know, I didn't like it at all. You know, every time I see it now, I just cringe. I see the the ladies trying to recapture the '60s. Short dresses, just not the same thing. Then you see guys in the same outfit, you're like, really? No. Oh yeah, there were guys wearing skirts, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, that just doesn't look right, you know. And the whole cue thing, and we're going to put you on trial. And Picard, uh, Picard, Riker without the beard just does not work. <laughs> that beard saved his ass. You know, him with the clean shave, no, no, not at all. You know, I didn't like that at all. I still don't like it. And I've only really gotten through all of it a couple of times. It's just, it is just not good. You know, <clears throat> just as a point of trivia, the footage that they use of Riker when he's um, talking, I think when he's first contacted by the Enterprise, I guess he's on the, he's on the planet surface. Or he's on the pl surface of some planet. They use that, I believe they use that same footage in another episode in the first or second season. It's the one where they go down to some planet, and it's, it might be the episode you were talking about. It's a planet where all they do is sell weapons, and there's these floating things that... Yep, that's the one. Is that the one? Yeah. Um, they use that footage, I can't remember how, but they use that footage, uh, they repurpose it in that, that subsequent episode. Did you have anything else on... Uh... You know, no, it, it just wasn't good. Now, another one, uh, I mean, I'm going to get some heat on this. Gambit didn't need to be a two-parter. You know, Gambit was stretched out a little bit for my for my taste. You know, Picard goes in the cover and, you know, they grab up uh, Riker and a band of thieves. And the payoff at Gambit was like, we found this weapon, this resonator that only works if you have aggressive thoughts. Nah, that was bullshit. Ah, kind of. I gotta disagree. Well, let me go back to Encounter at Farpoint. I, I can, I agree with you. It's not my worst. If I had re really thought about it, that probably would have been my choice. The one that I did choose, I think, is god awful. So I'm going to stick <laughs> with it. <clears throat> but uh, no, I can completely understand your your choosing Encounter at Farpoint. The whole thing with the cities being aliens or something that are being under control, I just didn't care. Um, that the, the I remember there was a weird guy who was kind of like the the liaison between the aliens. He was trying to keep them hidden as aliens. A long hair. He he kind of reminded me of the um of the character that uh, Brent Spiner plays in Independence Day. He kind of had that look. 
Um, you, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it really, it wasn't good. And like I said, I, I wrote the series off after I saw that in the, the subsequent episode. But that did not make my worst. My worst two-parter. I watched it recently. Dun, da, 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 Big Sexy, you already said it was your favorite two-parter. What? Time's Arrow. Oh, hell no. What the f***? <laughs> I hate this episode. I, I watched it again. And I, I, I'm going to try to put into words why I just didn't like it. Um, first of all, it's 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 kind of like a Western, which I don't want to see that in Star Trek. Uh, it just meanders all over the place. It tries to handle too many things. It it feels dated in that it's trying to, you know, as Star Trek went along and, you know, and then you had, you know, I'm going to throw out some properties. You had Terminator. You had all these, um, you had all these sci-fi shows dealing with uh, time travel. And they expanded time travel and the concept of time travel and what you could do with time travel, even in the comic books, um, in pop culture, the, the, the notion of time travel constantly evolved and what can what you what might happen if we could time travel this episode reminds me of one of the first ex explorations of what time travel could be like and it just became a jumbled mess it just it made no sense to me the design made no sense to me you've got these two aliens who were dressed in um the uh 18th uh, what 19th century gear with a cane that looks like a snake and you have these aliens that have holes in their heads, and so these these other aliens go and take the souls of people in the past. I don't why does it have to be in the past? And then they go back to the future and feed other aliens. You throw in Guinan, who is and I'm just gonna keep it real, she's African American, yet in the eighteen hundreds she's the dame of society. I mean, I wish that were true, but we know that's not going down like that ridiculous and then you have one character that when i when he first comes on screen i was like wow he's doing a great job with with a lot of wieldy complex uh line readings and then 10 minutes in i was like please get him off the screen he is annoying <laughs> the he's annoying the hell out of me and that was this uh mark twain character why yes. <clears throat> why so much of mark twain why did they get there were scenes that went on for like two or three minutes with this guy just rambling. And then they do the thing with um, Jack London. Jack is that? Yeah, Jack London. Yeah, I, I, why do they always do that where they feel like they have to give you a little Easter egg? Oh, that's Jack London. So Jack London really helped data with his machine. Get out of here, man. It's just I, I, I didn't understand why they tried to make it seem like. Picard and Guinan have some sort of relationship. Were they lovers? Were they what? What are you? Why are they building this thing up? But they never explore it in in the series as a whole. Nor do I think they should. They always have. I think bad writings where you always have to put a bow on something, and they had to put this bow on. Well, Picard and Guinan, he has to go back and meet with her because she's really critical to. The the what whatever you could have taken Guinan out of this and it would not have affected the plot at all. She got way too much screen time, 
and it just struck the storyline just struck me as something that people on cocaine or some or LSD or some drug and they had a vision of what a story for Star Trek would be I mean you can defend it big sexy it just it was all over the place putting the old head on data and it working a 200 year old head that they said was in the process of decay how does that work so I just thought that was like a psychedelic trippy in a bad way uh one of the worst one of the worst episodes period forget about two parters but i remember watching it the first time hating it and i watched it again because i was like hmm two parters i seem to remember i didn't like times arrow let me watch that again i'm sure i missed something no i fell asleep on it on the second episode and i was like yeah you can keep this one so that's my worst two-parter but i will say uh the pilot um the first two-parter for the series. Yeah, Farpoint? Ugh. Encounter at Farpoint. It, it it comes in a close second. I, I, and I just want to say, so Big Sissy, tell me, what did you, what what was it about Time Zero that spoke to you? You know, just the fact that the way, I, I like the, the way they did the relationship with Guinan and Picard, because when he goes into 10 forward, and he's talking about this little deal, she's like, look, man, you don't remember when we met, and if you don't go, we're never going to meet. You know, just that type of cryptic uh, thing without giving it away. Then when he's back in the past, you know, pretty much stuck there, you know, she, Riker goes in there and says, look, what happened? He's, she's like, I can't tell you. I can't get into that. You got to figure it out. And he was just pissed off the whole time, but he figured it out. I thought it was great. But, but why do you why do you have to do that with Picard and Guinan? And you never do it in any, you never explore any type of relationship they have other than, Guinan seems to have the same relationship with Picard that she has with any ship member. They come to her in 10 forward, they talk about their problems, they leave. <laughs> they don't do anything more than that. So why do you give Guinan so much screen time? Well, let's the... face it, at the, at the time, though, you know, yeah. this is Whoopi Goldberg, Oscar-winning actress, and you want to use her. Okay, that's a good point. But then why not use her in a more active role. All she does is talk in this episode, in these episodes. Well, she just wanted to be a part of the team. You know, she okay. didn't want to, you know, be out front. She's like, look, I want to do this for scale. I don't want to be a big deal. I just want to be a part of it. Okay. I, well, I, I don't have a problem with it. Make her, make her a crew member then. <laughs> you know, make give her something to do other than just sit there and talk and then get hurt. I don't know. I, I still don't know why the Elarians would want to come back to that specific part, that specific period in Earth's history. I mean, it seems like it'd be more interesting to come back to, to just be a, a watcher. Hello, Marvel fans. <laughs> uh, in the 24th century. <laughs> they never really established what makes that century that she goes back to anything worth going back to. So... Well, there you have it. Our our favorite and least favorite two-parters. And I want to shout out to Stephen Bates again. He says his worst. I got to disagree with him. It is kind of silly, but it's, it's it's a fun, silly uh, two-parter, uh, is Descent. I like Descent. Yeah, I did too. That was that was the one where um, it was very comic bookish, right? That was the one with Data and Lore. Lore, Lore is kind of like Loki who takes over the frost giants or something or it, it's it's where lore takes over uh a contingent of borg who have become individuals i believe do i have that right yeah yeah because that that kind of 
came as an offshoot of the whole I Borg episode. Right. You know, and then Lore found him and did his thing, and I, I never liked Lore. Never liked Lore. But the, the subplot about that was when, who I usually hate, Dr. Crusher was Aww. in command. And she wasn't having it. So I'll give her that. I'm not a fan of hers, but she she definitely got the ship running with, with a skeleton crew, with a young girl who said, look, Doc, if we do this thing in the corona, it will work. And she's like, are you sure? She's like, I'm sure. And they went ahead and did it, and that other guy was like, it better work. And she's like, it'll work. You just cool your jets. <laughs> you know. So she did what she did with a skeleton crew, and it, and it worked out. Speaking about Beverly Crusher uh, taking over as uh, captain, um, I'm, it reminds me of something I wanted to bring up to you about. You, we talked about the episode Disaster, where um, yes, Troy had to take command. Yes, and may, I don't mean this to sound sexist, sexist, but I just draw a connection because they're both females and they they took command of the ship. She was she was kind of not having a good go of it either, but at the end she she realized what she had to do, and I guess she was she was willing to do it on the holodeck, but not willing to do it. In real life, because I don't think she ever got command of the Enterprise, right? She no, had... she did on the holodeck, and um, that wasn't disaster. That was the no. One you're where, right. It wasn't. You're where right. Data went to the other planet and had amnesia, and then it... she was taking the commanding or the, the commanding uh, exercise, and she had to do this one thing, and then she finally did it. And Riker's like, "Now you know. That's what takes me command." That was um, instance of command. Is that the one? Where, uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. That is a great episode. Uh, I like the I like the Troy sub subplot, but I didn't really like the. No, the data part sucked. No. Yeah. I like the portion. So all right, so there you have it. Now, fellas, we're about an hour and ten minutes into this show. I want you to bear with me. I want to do some more trivia. Ta -ta -da! We don't want to do trivia. <laughs> We listen. Come on now. We want to do trivia. We want to do trivia. Okay. Our fans. We're gonna get the answers wrong, but. Uh... All right. You know what? You know what? Here we're gonna. Okay, Craig. We're gonna do. Now you've seen Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan a number of times. Am I correct? Oh yes. All right. So, we will take our questions from Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Alrighty. I did. I got some people saying they really liked the trivia. Oh. They say we sucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hang on. By the second. way, uh, both of you talking about Times Arrow has got me thinking. I better watch that episode so I can be the third uh, vote. Yeah, and so when I'll, we, I'll let you know next time what I think of it, and you know, we'll we'll take the we'll we'll make the team vote in one direction there. Yeah, that's a good idea. That we'll do that on the, on the next show. Since Craig is now so kindly willing to uh, bear with us, thank you so much. Uh, Ensign Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Don't kill me in the next episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna put a, a, an away team of one person, and that would be you. Um, we're gonna do one question each. Each person gets one question, and we are going to base it on a beloved Star Trek property, that being Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Khan! None of that Benedict Cumberbatch bullshit, Con. <laughs> Although I, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, don't get me wrong. I like but, him as an actor, yeah. But not as Con. No. So, 
who is going to step up to the plate first? I'll go I'm first. I'm Greg. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So we're going to we're going to stick with um, crew. All right. That's the category. Crew. All right. All right. Question. Which crew member encountered Khan first in Wrath of Khan, yet never met him on screen in the original series episode Space Seed? That would be Chekhov. You are correct. You are correct, sir. Chekhov. Yeah, it's funny. It's 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 amazing the writers made that mistake too. What? What? No. He, he, what do you mean? Because Khan says to him, "Oh, I remember you," and of course, there's no way he could have remembered him. Because oh, that's he was in that episode. <laughs> that's right. You know what? I was gonna tell. I was gonna say. Well, doesn't Khan say? But you, I don't remember. But he was talking to um, the other guy, not to, to yeah. Chekhov. You're right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right, Big Sexy. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Ah, oh, that's so easy. The role of Savik in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, was the first big role for which future bar manager and fat actress? <laughs> <laughs> they had to go to fat actress? That's not cool. <laughs> I'm going to say the lovely Kirstie Alley. <laughs> yes, the lovely Republican and Scientologist Kirstie Alley. Stop, stop. Without bringing that in there. I used to think she was lovely, too. Okay, here's a question from me. Who was revealed to be Admiral Kirk's son? Wow. Well, <clears throat> I don't know what his role, his position was, but I know he worked on the Genesis device, and I believe his name was Mark. Mark, uh, I can't remember his last name. Okay, you want to really impress me? And I am in. That is incorrect. It was David Marcus. Oh yeah. I am ashamed. I I hang my head in shame. But he did work on the Genesis project, though. You're right about that. Yeah, that that, that doesn't cut it for the answer, though. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Big Sexy? I was gonna say the the, the guy who played him. Right. He was on the early '80s show. What was he on? I have no idea because I don't. He looks like uh, he does have that early '80s kind of uh, greatest American hero look. He was on a show with. I'll give you a hint. He was on a show with. Oh, what's her name? Oh God, Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, uh, Sarah Jessica. Oh, Freaks and Geeks. Close, but no. Not. Uh. Uh. uh oh. Uh. Uh. Um. Ah. Uh. Uh, the misfits of misfits of science. No, I don't know. What do you got? What is it? Square pegs. Square pegs. <laughs> he was Johnny Slash. <clears throat> okay, all right. I'll have. No, to... I like the show. God damn it! <laughs> I remember the song Square Pegs. Square Pegs. Square Pegs. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Okay, so now it's between. I'm out. I am out of the running. How can the captain be out of the running? Uh, all right. <laughs> so it's between. It's between Big Sexy. And Craig Johnson. All right. To Craig. Ah, man. They Sudden come, death, huh? They got to come <laughs> up with some better questions. Jeez. Whose nephew stayed at his post while the Clannies ran? Mm. Oh, Craig. No. Mm -mm. no. Let, me read it, let me read it again. Yeah, please. 
And I gave you a clue with the accent. Yeah, you did. Oh. Whose nephew stayed at his post while all the trainees ran? Um, you know, I, I, don't, I actually don't know what scene you're talking about there, but uh, you gave you gave the accent, so I guess it was somebody with Scotty. It was it Scotty was Finney. it was Scotty. Okay, let, let I me. I don't remember that scene. Okay, okay. I, you're right. You're right. Let me. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give you another question. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Where does the Enterprise battle the USS Reliant? Yeah, uh, it's in a nebula. I need the name of the nebula. Uh, oh. Mm. Now, Craig, you're gonna get a lot of fan. You're gonna get a lot of hate mail if you don't get this. <clears throat> and as a matter of fact, this nebula, if I'm not mistaken, it appears in TNG at one point. Didn't uh, but yeah in in that in the in the two part of that you were, we were just talking about they do the same trick that they do in the Wrath of Khan where they hide in the nebula isn't that right? Yes, and so and I, actually it looks I think they use the same plates. Um, <laughs> they may have. I think they do. Come on, Greg. Yeah, think I don't, about it. Think about uh, it. I don't, look, I'd be lying if I remember the name of the nebula, but okay. Uh, okay. I, I did know it was a nebula. Okay. Uh, Big Sexy, if you if you if you win this, if you get this, you win the Star Trek No Prize. I love the No Prize. Yeah. I'll repeat the question. Uh, I, I'm not gonna get that. I ain't getting no what? prize now. I don't know the name of it. Well, th- wait, 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 wait. This is a you know Wrath of Conquest, which is his strength. Give me a TNG question, and I'll I'll take it to the bank. <laughs> the answer. You slackers! Is the Mutara Nebula? Oh well. <laughs> okay. Now is I, it the same one from the TMG? I don't know if it's. I I don't know if they refer to it as the Mutara Nebula, but it, I think they use the same visuals that, that they use mm. in the film. But I can't really say too much about you guys because I didn't get David Marcus. I I am ashamed. So all right, we're gonna give one more shot, then we're gonna call, we're gonna wrap it up. So I am still eliminated. <clears throat> so Craig, it's to you. Wow. Okay. Ready. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who reprogrammed the conditions of the Kobayashi Maru test when he took it the third time? That would be Captain James Tiberius Cook. That is you correct. know, you're just you're just lobbing <laughs> these softball questions in You know what? I gotta call the Trivial Pursuit Company and say, "Look, dude, make this challenge." All right, now, Big Sexy, if you lose this question, it all goes to Craig. Uh oh, this may be a challenging question. Who was Khan's only follower who protested his hunting Kirk? Oh, this is bullshit. Uh, <laughs> that girl, baby. What's her name? <laughs> who? I don't know. No, no, no. Who, who, what girl are you talking about? Wasn't there a, a girl hanging around with him at some point? <clears throat> no. <laughs> okay. That would be, and this is the guy. I was thinking about this guy's name when you brought up David Marcus, the actor who was in Square Pegs. That would be Joaquin. I would have never got that. Team. I didn't know that. So, Craig, who did so dismally before, 
I'm sorry. I did. <laughs> you win. <laughs> All right. What do I get? An away mission? <clears throat> you get our heterosexual love and affection. <laughs> Alrighty. So, all right. So, listen. In the real world, in the 21st century, there is a football game that's about to start because it is now playoff weekend. What uh, is this? The NFC Championship or the AFC? The NFC title. And as of right now, the the Falcons are ahead seven nothing with 3:49 left in the first quarter. Oh, the game started. Game started at 11:50. All right. Away leave is canceled. Shore leave is canceled. <laughs> Signing off. <laughs> hey, guys. All right. See you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. All right. Bye.